1: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Weisson, the unique blend of hunting, fishing, wildlife conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle. DSC's Campfires is brought to you by DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Taurus, Award winning pistols and revolvers, Mossberg, American built, American strong, and the Red 55 winery in Lindale, Texas. Signature wines of Grammy award winning country artist Miranda Lambert and owned by Rick and Beverly Lambert. Welcome to DSC's Campfire. Here in a few moments, we'll join my old buddy, Mister Ron Porter, a game warden from New Mexico and a hunting partner for, oh my gosh, probably close to forty years or so. But uh, he and I shared many adventures together in the past, hunting and both here in Texas and in New Mexico, and, and dreamed about hunting a lot of other places together as well too. Before we get into that episode, I've been reminding you about a book that Luke Clayton and I have done called Campfire Talk. Now, this book is, is available, and it's available through catfishradio.org, as well as a bunch of other places. But if you want an autographed copy, that's the best place to go to, is catfishradio.org. And, and there's a place there that you can Click on to and and uh, order that book and leave us a message and we'll make sure that we get the uh, the autographed book to you in a very timely manner and particularly in time for Christmas. You know it's a great Christmas gift that uh, I think whoever reads it and whoever they pass it on to will enjoy. Luke and I had a great time writing that book and in terms of using different chapters about hunting, fishing, outdoors, cooking, and we we're so fortunate to get Mister Jim Zumbo a very dear friend of of many years and hunting partner as well for so many years to do the forward for us then beyond that at the same spot you can also get a copy of a new book that i just did not very long ago just in time for christmas called uh, deer addictions now this is a book that i used chapters, the articles that I've written over the past about hunting whitetail, mule deer, coos whitetail, Colombian blacktail, sitka blacktail, just pretty much whitetail, of course, as well. A lot of whitetail, because I've had the opportunity to hunt them a little bit more than I have mule deer and some of the other North American big game species, but uh, both those books are available through catfishradio.org and if you play shorter there, we'll get those out as soon as earthly possible in time, hopefully for Christmas, if not, well ahead of time, and and uh, I think you'll enjoy those books. There, there's uh, they're entertaining. To, at least we've been told they are, and there's a lot of good, sound information about hunting and the different fishing and things that we did in the book with Luke, and then particularly in terms of lessons I've learned as far as deer hunting across North America is concerned, and in the uh, deer addiction thing. And then truly, I've been addicted to deer hunting for a long time many uh, uh decades if you will so hopefully you'll enjoy those books let me know how you feel about them you can get in touch with us at catfishradio.org as well too and and a whole bunch of other places but uh, really appreciate your support on those books and i know that you're going to like them or at least i feel very strongly that you will so now let's get on with the program and uh we'll talk to you a little bit more about this next week as well too just to remind you about the books but also to remind you about the dallas safari club convention it's coming up january 11th through 14th at the k bailey hutchinson center there in dallas texas uh i got a feeling luke and i'll be there and and uh, maybe we can visit a little bit and i'll be open to any hunting stories that you might have to tell me as well too and who knows if we're really good and i suspect they will uh be well, you know maybe they'll show up in a book somewhere down the future so let's join Ron Porter and me as Ron and I talk about some of his years as a game warden in New Mexico. Ron, when you were a kid, we were talking earlier about coal oil and getting hurt and, and wool rags. What? Tell me a little bit about the experience that you were talking about before we turned this thing on for this podcast.
2: Well, one of those things, that, you know, it's one of those things you look back on and you wonder, how in the world did I survive all that <laughs> as a child? Because generally, now if a child gets hurt, they rush into the emergency room. Our emergency room was the kitchen table,
1: kitchen table.
2: You know, and sew up. Well, no, you didn't have to be sewed up. Just soak it in cold oil and wrap it with a wool rag, and it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing about it, Larry, is it was.
1: It did work. You know, we were before we turned all this thing on. I, I remember I was telling a story about when a little kid running around a dog pen chasing a dog from a dad to so a guy could see it and falling and falling into the tin roof and nearly cutting my arm off. I mean, blood spraying all over the place, and the first thing they did is my dad got a rag and wrapped it around there and started pouring coal oil on it and the the treatment was to kind of look yep it's still there and it, you know until it healed up but it was amazing how that coal oil worked well
2: it's amazing because you you often wonder well if it's still hanging on it must be okay <laughs> you know can you still use it well you will be able to yeah. in a week or two yeah, don't eventually. worry about it yeah, it'll all work out trust me <laughs>
1: Sitting here this today with uh, Mr. Ron Porter. Ron and I go back many years, I think to about 1974 when we met in the Southern Lincoln National Forest. Uh, uh, they're here in New Mexico, and and uh, I worked for the game department in Texas, and Ron worked for the game department here in New Mexico. And over the years, we've hunted a lot. A fair amount together. Fair amount. Never, never as much as we really wanted to, but uh, we did get a chance to hunt together. And, Ron, you've lived such a very interesting life from, from early beginnings to the years you spent as a game warden and as a supervisor and all that kind of stuff with the New Mexico Game Department. And then you, know, you and your wife, Marcia, too, became tax nervous along the way, as I recall. And, well, that was because of you. Oh, my goodness. That's I my I didn't fault. have
2: anything to do with that. <laughs> But uh, you wrote a letter saying, well, I think you can be a taxidermist, and here's how you do it, A, B, C, and D. You forgot the rest of it, but we figured it out, and we wound up running a taxidermy shop for well over 20 years. Over 20 years. And uh, let's be honest, she was the taxidermist. (laughs) I did the skinning, I did the tanning, I'd sew it on the form, but if you wanted it to look right,
1: that was her job. That was Marcia's job. And she, Marcia was an absolute fantastic she artist. She made an
2: antelope look like an antelope.
1: Yes, she did. Or a mule deer look like yeah. a mule deer or whatever it was. The the mount was of, she made it look like that particular animal with a little bit of character as well, too.
2: Well, she said, you know, you got to you got to understand those animals. The character is either in the eyes or the ears. So she was always experimenting and trying this. And right. she'd say, how does this look? And I'd go. You know, that looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Or I'd say, I don't like that. And she said, okay, I'll change it and we'll do this. But she was always experimenting with those mouths before she would finish them up and turn them into the, you know, the owner. That was her deal.
1: And but what a fantastic job she was job a crazy lady
2: anyway. I call her crazy lady. I It's like being married to a pet <laughs> raccoon. Uh, she got into everything. Uh, most of the people said I married her just to keep her from poaching so much. But, uh, uh, yeah, she was, a, she was a good fisherman. She loved those fish. And if there was a 50-hook trot line, she'd have 100 hooks on hers. But,
1: anyway, I loved her dearly, and she was a good taxidermist. She was. She was a very, very special lady as far as I was concerned in so many, 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 many ways. And, you know, a dear friend from the word go. It did. You know, and she
2: loved to hunt and fish. And, and, she, that that. and
1: not only did she love to hunt and fish, she was good at it, too. Yeah,
2: she, was, she used to carry uh, earplugs. I gave her a, a big rifle. She carried earplugs, and people would say, why do you have earplugs? She said, because I don't have to listen to him while I'm trying to shoot something. <laughs> And she'd point at me, and I'd go, yeah, that's right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> Don't argue with that.
1: <laughs> no, 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 none whatsoever, my God. The let shoot. as I said, unfortunately, she passed away a few years ago. And, and But what a truly, truly special lady And in so, as I mentioned, so many different ways. And we had so much fun together at times whenever we got together. And we got the chance to hunt together several times. I remember one time we were down in, in the webb county i think one of the first times you, you and marcia came down lareda and you know back then we didn't have many wild hogs must have been that red hog and it was the red hog i can remember it to this day you and
2: Marsha are both shouting at me shoot the red hog
1: yes we and were. i'm
2: saying i'm red green colorblind. blind i don't see a red hog yeah, there is. That red hog right there. Well, that red hog right there doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> Finally got him spotted and we got it done. But the interesting fact, if you remember correctly, we just threw that hog in the back of the truck. We did. Then we took off and that evening we had to leave. Yes. So we drove into Laredo, Marcia and I, and we got us a motel room and we got went to the cafe and we we're going to eat supper. And she's sitting there, and all of a sudden, she's squirming like she's got the St. Vitus bands. And I go, what's the matter with you? She says, I don't know. And she starts opening her blouse, and I said, well, let's go get it real interesting. <laughs> and she's picking off ticks. That hog was so full of ticks that they all loved her. So here she is in the restaurant squirming around trying to pick off the ticks. And I'm going, you know, these people think we're crazy and probably going to throw us in jail anyway. But all I could do was sit there and laugh and pick them off
0: myself.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that your, you mentioned all that. I do remember that hog had a lot of ticks you know a lot of times I get tickled as you talking about that I was thinking about javelina as well too I used to get a bunch of guys come down from different states and you know in Arizona they're a premium game animal and they probably are here in parts of New Mexico and a lot of the photos there for a while were of guys like you see a guy that takes a leopard and he lays it across his shoulders well these guys would come down and they'd shoot a javelina and they'd say you know they want that photograph you know with javelina wrapped around their neck kind of thing and since we took the photograph, I'd take off at a run to the pickup, <laughs> jump in the truck, and lock the doors and roll up the windows. And then I'd open it just and I said, "Get on back with your javelina," kind of thing. They go, "You know, you can say what, why, why, why?" And I said, "You're going to figure it out Well, the adrenaline would start wearing off." A <laughs> bit, and all of a sudden, they could smell that very distinctive javelina odor. And then the next thing you know, they're scratching and itching and all this kind of stuff because of the fleas and ticks that are there. Yeah, so those fleas and ticks, I would tell those those
2: young boys down there, so Garrapatos and plumes, Yeah. You know, yep. fleas and ticks. Yep. <laughs> Pulgas and garrapatos, and don't get near me. <laughs> uh, uh. But we had some, we had some wonderful, great times. We
1: really did, you know. Uh, and,
2: and looking back on my career, uh, when I was a young man, Larry, I, my father took me hunting and fishing at every opportunity. Yes, sir. Now, I n- didn't necessarily have a rifle, but I was on the hunting trip. right. And when I was about, I guess, 10, 11 years old, I met my first game warden, a nice gentleman. I can't remember who he was now, but I thought, you know, I think that's the coolest guy I've ever seen. I'm going to be a game warden, and I was. I became a game warden. A lot of people in life, by the time they get to the end of life, they're upset because They didn't enjoy life. I enjoyed every single day. I was a game warden. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I did for 27 years.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
2: And a lot of good stories, met a lot of different people, good people, bad people. But all in all, wouldn't trade it for the world.
1: Absolutely. That's why I am. I was very fortunate. And to this day, I cannot wait to get up and go to work. Uh, And most. People that are my age who have now been retired for a fair number of years.
2: <laughs> like me. <laughs>
1: yeah, but yeah, but if you're a little different. You, you, you spent time working, guiding, and working with different oh, ranchers yeah. and all those kind of things. And then uh, anybody that's ever visited your absolutely gorgeous little piece of property out here on the west side of Roswell, New Mexico, knows that you like tractors and you like, mechanical things <laughs> because uh, of the sheds and the barns that I've driven by since we've gotten here. There's more than one in there.
2: Well, like I said, everybody needs a bulldozer. Uh, and that bulldozer is a funny story. I had a rancher that lives over by Carrizosa. That bulldozer belonged to him. Mm-hmm. And he he said, Ron, would you come over? I was retired. He said, would you build me some roads? And I said, Sure. Absolutely. Hadn't never been on a bulldozer in my life. Didn't know the first thing about it. But I went over there, learned how to start it, started building him roads. Got pretty good at it. Built him a lot of roads there on. He came to me one day and he says, gonna give you that bulldozer. I said, Oh, you are? Why? He says, because I bought me a new one. I said, so you're going to give me a 1947 bulldozer, and then you just bought a 2020 bulldozer that's got all the bells and whistles. Right. And I said, and it takes two people to start this bulldozer of mine. He said, yep. But he said, nobody knows how to drive it but you. <laughs> 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 I said, well, I do appreciate it, Henry. I appreciate it very, very much.
1: <laughs> and when you got on the first time, you had no idea how to I do anything, no but just turn on the keys, start it.
2: All I knew was there was a key there and there's some handles there. (laughs) After a while, I got it figured out. But it's just, I don't know where I came up with this love of equipment. But I guess because I was kind of raised on a farm when I was a young man and drove tractors like most farm boys did. And my grandfather, he was never one to say, you can't do that. He'd say, get out there and learn how. And so I'd go drive a tractor and just got to where they just, when I retired, I thought, man, I sure do like the tractors. Yeah. Well, I do have a few right now. My oldest one is a 1938. That was 1938. And I've got a 38. Wait a minute. I got one older. I got a 1936. Oh my goodness. forgot about that one. (laughs) Oh my goodness. But, uh, That's my oldest one. And uh, I don't know how the age is on my newest one. I haven't figured that one out yet.
1: It's probably not a brand new one, though.
2: No, no. No, no. These brand new tractors, they they leave me in the dust.
1: Well, now, to to probably work on a tractor, you have to be a technician. Oh, yeah. You got to know how In terms of computers. Yeah, get it hooked up
2: to to a computer and let the computer tell you what it is. A tractor needs two things. Spark and gas. That's all it needs. If you can figure out why it's not running, it'll be one of those two, normally. I'll and be darned. I, I've told you before, I've got a Alice out there. That they always told me, they said, you can take an Alice tractor, tear it down to the final bolt. Right. Put it all back together, have a bucket full of bolts and parts left over and it'll still run. it
1: still runs.
2: And an old Alice man told me that.
1: Yeah. Well, he knew what he was <laughs> he talking about. He knew what he was, was talking like about. about.
2: But growing up and watching those tractors, the first time I ever saw a self-propelled combine, I thought, my God, what's this world coming to? Can you imagine that kind of
1: That equipment? kind of technology in, in, in this equipment and yeah. farming equipment?
2: I mean, it actually climb up on it and drive it itself, a combine. <clears throat> but Anyway, that's... After I retired from the game department that, and taxidermy, that gave me something to, Absolutely. to do with. I collect i don't sell <laughs> and i tell everybody i'm not in habit of making a tractor look like it just came off the showroom my tractors all i want to do is put their working clothes back on and let them run and let them run and that's what i do and i go out there every now and then i'll climb up on one start it up let it run let it warm up right you know listen to it turn it off do it again next month you know, just like
1: that. And it keeps he, them going. It keeps them going. It keeps them going. It's kind of like a, a, being, a, being a, a person. That's right. You know, it's <laughs> trying right. you got to get up and do something. You sit around on going. the
2: couch all day. <laughs> that's where they're going to find you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about some of your drive. I'm, I'm looking at a photo, uh, an older photograph of your great grandfather. And you were telling me what he did. He, he came out of where and went to where. And what did he do en route? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he and he and. His name was Job, and and, uh, they were moving from Illinois to Oklahoma. And I've got all the paperwork and the newspaper articles and everything else. But when they got ready to move, he sold most everything except a horse. Except for a horse. He smuggled the horse onto a train, and they took the train from Illinois to Oklahoma. And when I read that, I thought, how in the world do you smuggle a yeah. horse? Number two, does that mean I come from a line of horse smugglers? <laughs> you know, I've heard of horse thieves and <laughs> cattle thieves, <laughs> but,
1: but they're never smugglers. a horse smuggler. No, no, that's kind of a big one, uh, But
2: I'll take that as part of my lineage.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: But uh, he and his wife, Rebecca, had two sets of twins. And they, they packed, they packed uh, some of them up and on a wagon, and the rest of them, he and my great-grandfather and my grandfather, which is just a child at the time, they rode the train with a smuggled horse. And I kept thinking, where do you hide a smuggled horse? I have no idea. How do you feed it? How do you water it? It takes a while in those days to get from Illinois to Oklahoma.
1: Well, absolutely it does. And
2: I thought, you know what? History of families is just amazing. (laughs)
1: Don't tell them what you'll find. It it really is. But but it would be truly interesting to know how he kept that horse watered primarily and fed as well. And hid. And hid the entire way. Do you put him in a box car? You know. How do you get him into
2: the boxcar? How do you get him out of the boxcar? Yeah. It was just, I read that, and I had to reread it twice just to to make sure I knew what I was looking at. But it was interesting, you know, you sell the wagon for $2.50, and you sell this for that, and went to Oklahoma, because that was during the days just before the Oklahoma land rush. So he was looking for property.
1: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
2: In fact, my grandfather... Can remember when they moved to that farm, part of their job before they could plow a field was to go out there and remove the old buffalo skulls. Really? That were in, that they wanted to plow. Right. They Didn't want to plow them under or around them, but he and my uncle would go
1: that was load their, up buffalo skulls into the, in the skulls wagon the so he could
2: take down throw them in the creek.
1: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to have some of those skulls now, particularly of that era kind of Of thing? Of
2: that era, yeah. Now, I've got a buffalo skull. You haven't seen it. But it's a buffalo skull that came out of a cave in Wyoming that was evidently put there by some Indians. Yes. And somehow or another, I wound up with it. But you know me, I... I got a lot of different collections. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's one of the things I really enjoy about coming to visit you here is because in every nook and cranny of the house and of your, when we haven't even been, my wife Mary Ann's with me on this trip, I haven't come back from a DSC, uh, New Mexico chapter gala and uh, we haven't taken her out to the taxidermy shop we'll do that next time because even out there, you, you've been able to collect so many different unique things over the years and so many great things of beauty, particularly in terms of if you like anything have to do with wildlife and the yep. old west kind of sort or all those kind of things
2: wildlife and the old west have always well wildlife I, I guess because i was a game warden and kid and just loved wildlife you know i can remember every hunt that i ever had with my father yes and uh, when i was young we he liked to fish uh in the high pecos lakes where that was a six mile walk Gracious. i was little and if I got tired, he'd tie a rope around my waist, and I better keep up or I got drug up that mountain. <laughs> but uh, those trips are just, you remember, I just can't yeah. tell you how much I enjoy those little yeah. trips. Because my dad enjoyed hunting, and I've enjoyed not only hunting, but being a, a part of the wildlife, basically community, because of being the game warden for the majority of my life. It's just been absolutely tremendous. I've seen things that I've never seen, things that people wouldn't even believe. That yeah, seen.
1: and probably will never see again. As and I will we'll never yeah. see
2: again. But uh, they're etched in my memory.
1: Absolutely, and, yes, sir. And
2: uh, to me, that's pretty pretty important. When you get to be as old as I am, you get to looking back on things and going, good Lord and mercy, wasn't that fun? Or... Good Lord of mercy, how in the world I survive that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And it, in certain instances, that, both those apply to yeah. the same thing yeah. as well, yeah. too. Yeah, at
2: the same time, you go, holy mackerel, <laughs> thank you for looking over me.
1: <laughs> Ron, we've got a little time left here, but well— Your years as a game warden, what were some of the favorite things that you got to do? I know there are some horrible things involved with being a game warden in in terms of having to deal with certain people in certain circumstances. I guess. To you, what was kind of the maybe one or two high points of, of your years as a game warden?
2: I think looking back on everything, number one would have been being able to help children, young people. Yes. Enjoy wildlife, enjoy outdoors. I enjoyed. I was stationed in Gallup, New Mexico for a while and got to know a lot of people that were Navajo and Hopi and Je yes, and getting to know their way of life, their outlook on life, their religion, uh, which is tied real close to the outdoors, I mean really close. I think learning those learning experiences were, were so good to me. I just enjoyed it yes, so sir. much because there's things that you don't learn in books.
1: No, no. Or are, yes, you're those right. Those are
2: things you learn in life or learn by talking to people. I had good friends that were medicine men and they would tell me stories of potions and stuff that they did. And nowadays, a lot of the people would scoff at that. But I tell you what, those those old medicine men, they knew they knew their history of their tribe and they knew their nature and they knew what cured and what didn't.
1: Yes, sir. And a lot of their history is oral history. Oh far. yes,
2: absolutely. It's like the Navajos, until a few years ago, there was no written language for Navajo. Navajo is a very, very difficult language. Well, that's why the US military had the code talkers. That's right. Because the Japanese can never figure no. it out. And the Navajos like they came up with their own words. If they were in the military, boys would say if they were talking about a tank, that was turtle in Navajo. They would talk about a turtle. Well, nobody else even here could even associate that word with a turtle. No. And so they never got never got known as far as the code talkers were number one. I mean, but you listen to some of those stories and. Uh, what they have, I always told people, you know, when I got sick, I either wanted a medicine man or a curandero, which is a Spanish healer. Yes, sir. Because they know what's. Yeah. What's out there and what's right and what's wrong?
1: Exactly. And and two, there's so many natural cures in the various vegetation. That
2: all came from plants.
1: That came from that kind of thing. Yep. And, and you know, a lot of modern medicine, too, is based on some of that. Oh, yes. But a lot of modern medicine also has stopped at a lot of that, <laughs> yep. going, no, that'll never work kind of well, thing. I, and yet I've, it does. I've gone,
2: when I lived up there, if I was a little sick or something, I'd be by one of the Navajo medicine men. He'd look at me and he'd go, you're not right. And he'd be over there m- mixing something and say, take this. And I never hesitated. No. Because I know those people know what they're talking about. And a couple days later, I'd go, hey, not bad. It worked. It worked. I'm not even going to ask what it was because it might be a toad's hind leg. But, <laughs> you know, who cares?
1: It worked. Exactly. You know, who cares? And
2: learning their their way of life and their thoughts. And it just, some of that stuff is fascinating when you get into their, their way of life. And that was one of my favorite things was living up there. That, like I said, in, in helping young people.
1: Helping young people.
2: One of the best things I ever did, I was invited to do a television program with a bunch of Muppets, almost like Sesame Street. Really? So I thought, well, I don't know how to do this but I did and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sitting around for 30 minutes talking to a bunch of hand puppets and we talked about everything and it was, it was a lot of fun and I had a lot of feedback from it from women saying, my little boy really enjoyed, you know, listen oh, i to can
1: you. only imagine right
2: but it was so much fun and i thought you're a grown man sitting around talking to hand puppets <laughs>
1: but, you know, it worked <laughs> it worked it worked how fantastic yep. to be able to do that and have that opportunity and oh my goodness
2: <laughs> so God. i've done i've had a a different life shall we say i got lots of lots of experiences and lots of fun and it's been great and will continue to be great.
1: It will continue to that's, be great. That's He's the right. main thing. So it's been,
2: and you look around what I've got, and I I sit out there in my, I'll call it my office, and I'll look at some of that stuff I've collected, and i go, you know, I can remember every story. Yes, sir. Where I got it, when I got it, who was with me. If it's a taxidermy animal, where I harvested the whole story. all the circumstances yep, everything erupt. around it yeah I can tell you what the temperature was that day you know. <laughs> whether I was freezing to death or burning up but uh, you know and I think that's what life really is is to enjoy it uh, if you if you cannot enjoy life then what in the world is there you're right you know it just you're right doesn't make sense to me I see these people that, that mope around and they complain about everything and They got such a horrible life. And I look at them and go, still breathing, aren't you? Yes. You're still breathing? You can change
1: it. Absolutely. Have a good time. And you can create. Absolutely you can. I, I totally agree. I, I really do. Ron, we're going to run short on battery tonight, but I'll I want to I'll, I'll either come back or give you a call. I want to continue this conversation because sure. there, there's so many different things to tell about in your career, and, and we shared several of them together as well, too. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about Fred Bear and the great times of him being the father of, of modern archery and all that and I And got,
2: I got to guide him.
1: And you got to guide him. And I'll tell you what, we can reconvene this campfire. <laughs> uh, I, that's one of the things I want to get into next time. I'll tell time you today. what,
2: I, you know, I've been, I've guided lots of folks and that was one fine gentleman really enjoyed being around him.
1: I want to hear that story, and then I know that she did something with the Wild Kingdom guys years oh, ago.
2: Oh yeah, well, we, too. we so- did. <laughs> back in the days of Wild Kingdom, I guess we did what five different programs here in New Mexico. We hunted elk, we hunted all dad, we hunted deer, and uh, I've got stories about some of those hunters. And how accurate they are, uh, but that part we'll leave out.
0: Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. Some
1: well, but we, maybe we can. Maybe we can talk about some well, of those Ed things. Ed Ames so.
2: recently passed away.
1: Yes. So I can talk about him. But, That's uh, another one we'll talk about. Uh,
2: if you go hunting with Ed Ames, don't don't think you're going to have anything to eat for supper. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, please join us again here around the campfire. We'll have Ron back on for too very long. And we've got so many stories that he can tell. And I've got a lot of questions for him. So next time we get the opportunity, we'll be right back here on DSC Campfires. And thank you all so very much for joining us today. DSC's Campfires has also been brought to you by the Crown Bar in LaGrange, Texas. Habit, our gear, your adventure, the Texas Wildlife Association, Double Nickel Taxidermy, Burn Brothers Game Calls, and H3 Whitetail Solutions.
0: Four in the morning. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew here at Duck Camp Dinners every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Birds
1: up in the sky.